Welcome to episode one of Digging Deep with Steve and Gonzo. My name is Gonzo. And my name is Steve. Like, this is, uh, I mean, Steve, why don't you explain what we're trying to do here today? So, we have been talking to people from our high school class, and it's been awesome. But then as we've gone through this, we're scheduled out months and months in advance. But we have a lot of people that you and I have also thought, I'd really like to talk to some, you know, so-and-so. And so we decided we wanted to branch out and start reaching out to other people that uh, either have been influential in our lives or that we have a lot of history with or people that we'd really love to hear from them and hear their perspective on, on different things. And so this is our first episode of doing that, being able to dig deep. Yeah, talk to someone, dig deep about a topic. And today we have Joe Staker with us. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming. But So we've known... We've known you for a long time, like, I don't know, 20 years? 20, I've known a little longer than 1998? <clears throat> yeah, uh, 24 years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, my name's Joe Staker, and I've known Stephen Gonzo for about 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the way we know each other, we were all in the same congregation uh, in Sandy, and 20-something years ago, and I was one of their scout leaders, and I got to kind of move up with them through the program for about four years. Normally, you just have scouts for two years, and they they move on, and I happened to move with them a little bit. So far as about me, uh, I'm from Draper, Utah, and I went to high school, went to Alta. I didn't go to Jordan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, never mind. No, I'm not a beach digger. So I, I went to Alta and uh, I went to BYU, majored in student debt and did that for a while. I went through an agricultural science program for a little bit and also studied Norse mythology. I liked that a lot. And as Gonzo and Steve would both know because they both worked for me. I ran, I still run a lawn care company, uh, mostly doing fertilizing and spraying, but I also ran a mowing truck for, I don't do that anymore, but I, I ran a mowing truck for about 12 years. Uh, those would be the main things. We'll dig deeper if you guys want. <laughs> I want to know a little bit more about the Norse mythology. Like where, where was that? Where did that come from? Okay. Um, so when I was in high school, I studied Russian. I was actually good at it. Um, they have like a state language competition thing, and, and I really liked that and did well in it. And I thought for sure I'd go on a, an LDS mission to Russia. It just opened up. Almost every other person in my Russian class was going to Russia. I got called to Iceland. Um, there are only eight missionaries in Iceland, or at least when I was there, that's what it was. We were one zone of the Denmark-Copenhagen mission. Went to Iceland, and I loved I loved it. I mean, I had the time of my life. Icelandic is an amazing language. There are 48 ways to say the word the, depending on the number, case, the gender, and the use, you know, the noun that you're putting with it. And I loved learning every one of them and uh, came back and I did uh, Old Norse. Um, that's a language course you could do in college. And it's really easy if you already speak Icelandic because it's kind of like Gonzo taking Spanish in high school. It's an easy A, <laughs> you know, like, um, and uh, so I did that. I got basically 16 free credit hours. I mean, I had to pay for them, but it was no homework. 
and uh, found that I just loved learning more about the culture. And so, so much of our culture today comes from Norse mythology and we just don't know it. You know, kids study Greek mythology um, and, you know, Roman mythology. They don't really study Norse mythology. It's, it's become popular now with, you know, the Thor movies. But uh, from days of our week, named after Norse gods to, um, you know, so many aspects of our culture, even, you know, our, our word hell, uh, that is that 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 comes from Norse mythology that's Loki's daughter and um we have all these terms that we use every day and we don't anyway so I thought it was really fun I loved how it tied into everything else and I had a lot of fun with it if you could make lots of money in it I'd probably be doing that you gotta be try to consult on, on the next Thor movie. Yeah, all three of us just go LARPing right now. <laughs> I, I could tell them how they're saying all the words wrong. <laughs> anyway. Well, not that. I think that also branched into a level language for you, right? I mean, it wasn't even after Russian and after Icelandic. Yeah. I remember you as someone that's always hungry to learn about languages. Yeah. I mean, even when we were running in the truck, I think. I was impressed with how quickly and how well you could remember Spanish and how you wanted to learn more Spanish. And I think by the time I worked, we worked together for like, I want to say like 10 years or so. Off and on. A yeah. long time. Long and time. like <laughs> towards the end, you could carry a good conversation with a, with a fry sauce lady at Carl's Jr. Yes. Um, so I, after I came back, I did want to keep doing languages. Uh, BYU didn't teach Icelandic at the time. They do now. Uh, just an intro course. So I did Swedish. I did two years of Swedish, and that was fun. And and they're very similar. Icelandic would be the root language for Swedish. So if you spoke Latin, it would be like learning Spanish or right. Portuguese. And so it was very easy and fun. And then uh, I did... Uh, I tried to do Hebrew for a while, and and anyway, it's it's fun, and I still go back. I still I did Duolingo two hours ago <laughs> before you guys called me, so I, I didn't know this was coming up. You know, I just I was laying on the couch doing Duolingo. Uh, I was doing Russian, so trying to get that back. Yeah, I love languages. One of the things I love about languages, you, you can't understand a person until you understand their language, because language influences thought patterns, and. Um, you can understand a person a lot better when you understand their language. People don't speak in single words. They speak in phrases. They speak in idioms. They speak in chunks. And when you understand those idioms and you understand those chunks, you understand how the people think. And even, I think, there, there's been studies, and I guess don't quote me on this, that people who know multiple languages tend to be more open-minded, tend to also have multiple different th thought patterns depending on the language that they're speaking it it does the way that you speak the way that you think it changes it changes you yeah uh, absolutely um I, I don't do it as much now but when i was in iceland and right after i i would try to um you know we most humans with just a few exceptions we think auditorially um, so as we're going through, we kind of narrate our day and we have thoughts going through it. And I would do that in Icelandic and I would find that I thought differently when I was thinking everything in Icelandic. My thoughts were a little bit different sometimes because I didn't have the right vocabulary, but usually because they, they think differently. So that was, was interesting. So when you, um, 
like we've known each other for a really long time. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be fun to ask maybe if you had a few memories from when we were younger or older uh, <laughs> that maybe some that stand out. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, so when I met Steve and um, I'm going to make the assumption that a lot of the listenership for this will come from your other podcast from friends and family. So you'll know a little bit about both these, these men from having listened to that. Um, you would know that both of Steve's parents are, are deaf and that he came from a home that had some issues going on when he was growing up. So my first, I still remember the first time I met Steve, uh, I was, um, the deacon's quorum advisor and, or the assistant deacon's quorum advisor and the scoutmaster. And it was a church and this blonde, you know, puffy haired little kid <laughs> comes in and he would say the rudest, most inappropriate things. And it was all you could do not to laugh. <laughs> like you're trying to be serious and you're like, Steve, you can't say that. You know, you, you, you can't say that to, you know, whoever you're saying it to, to Jimmy or whatever. You, you can't do that. You know, uh, that, that takes from the spirit or whatever, but you're just trying not to break your, you know, into a, a smile, a grin and a laugh because he was very witty for, I remember thinking that is a very intelligent kid. That's true. That's, that was my first impression. And then Gonzo, he had, uh, he had a, a mountain to climb. I learned lawn care from a, another, a guy, a guy named Al, who, uh, knew a lot about lawn care and thought he knew a lot about Hispanic people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was of Italian descent and, uh, I guess the neighborhoods he had grown up in, there was some, contention between the Italian and Hispanic communities and you could jets and the sharks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, anyway, he was, um, and and, you know, that, that rubs off on you. He had been a mentor to me in in a lot of ways. My, my own dad, um, when I was 15, he had his neck broken in an accident. And after that, he was mostly bedridden. Most of the time he basically would just lay in bed and watch weather channel all day and, and didn't do much. And, and so this guy, Al had really, you know, he taught me how to work. He taught me a trade. And, and so I, I really liked him in a lot of ways. And uh, then here I am a, a new scout master, fairly new still. And I get this, this little, you know, Hispanic. When I say little, I mean little because I'm still short. Little, yeah, <laughs> short little kid, and he's this Hispanic kid. And I'm like, oh, great, you know. Now I'm gonna have to start like frisking him and whatever, and <laughs> keep a hand on your wallet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like oh, you know, make sure you know, put the little tether on the keys to my truck and whatever. And long story short, Gonzo broke every um, every stereotype that I had. I almost every stereotype. There, there are a couple that are actually true or, you know, they, they're true. but that's true for anyone. That's true for any, you know, there's a reason stereotypes exist sometimes, but he broke virtually all the negative ones. Like he was open. He was intelligent. He was smart. He was respectful to his parents. He had, you know, um, I remember, um, oh, it was one of the first camps that you came on with us. I started asking you words in Spanish. Do you remember that? No, no. I could still, I remember the first phrase you taught me in Spanish and you'll be embarrassed if I say it. <laughs> I, let's go for it. Cara de cola. 
which means butt faces. <laughs> and that's, but you know, he's like 13, 14, whatever. That's what he taught me. Uh, I'm glad I gave you the, the respectful butt word instead of the swear word, butt word. <laughs> yeah. I think you held that in reserve for like, you knew me better, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I just remember asking you all sorts of, we were driving along in my truck and I'm like, okay. Oh, and then, um, you taught me como se dice. Mm. So I'd like a very valuable stuff. phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how do you say? Como se dice? And I'd point at a horse and he'd be like, oh, caballo. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> and that was, that was it. And then, uh, Gonzo, yeah, he worked for me. He was a great worker. Uh, one of the two best workers I've ever had. Oh, thanks, Joe. The other one was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> she was amazing too. Yeah. Um, and then I, I mean, this is off topic because I think we wanted to talk about other yeah. things, but I want to thank you for, um, I think going back to you and, and, and your love of Russian or Russian languages. I think you also liked Russian authors, right? Yes. And you got me into, um, into a love of reading that, you know, for years I would go to the library. I would go poke around, grab like, a handful of books and three weeks later when they're due, return them, get new ones. And it, you know, now I don't read as much because of kids and grad school kind of killed my love of reading, but I'm starting back up. But I want to thank you for that. I think your, um, your love of reading rubbed off on me and, and I discovered, um, books because of you. Um, and, you know, some of the best things that I've read that are still in my head are come from Dostoevsky or come from uh, Tolstoy and Gogol and, you know, some of like, and I moved on to like Dumas and like a whole bunch of authors that are in books that I really like. I'm glad you pronounced that right. <laughs> Especially Dumas. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And, you know, this could be a whole podcast. I don't know who you'd have as a guest, but I've always found it ironic that our current education system, like obtaining higher learning can literally destroy someone's love of learning. Like right. that they get out of grad school or whatever. They're like, I'm never going to touch a book again for, you know, 10 years because they're so sick of learning. And, uh, and there's, and it's a, and it's <laughs> yeah. a difference because you do, you know, there is in literature, you do learn, you learn ethics, you learn human nature in school, you're just reading textbooks and you're reading, you know, it's like reading instruction manuals um, for years. And that can kill you because all you're doing is like, okay, I'm reading this instruction instruction manual and I'm trying to like distill this information that I need to memorize. And I feel like, because education is very important to me. I, I think there is a balance between practical STEM education, which makes a person an efficient or a contributing member in society. But there is an education of, um, you know, ethics of human nature of uh, just being, being a moral person that, that also comes from, it needs to be part of education, but it's less emphasized. And I think that in literature, in the best books, that's where that education is found. And um, 
you know, it's, it's such a balancing act because I think we need more of that. The, where do you get it? I don't know. You have to seek it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, uh, you know, necessarily increase your earning power or your, you know, so it is tricky. Um, but it is also important, you know, if, if you want to understand human nature and say, you know, uh, the, the relationship of, of faith to human nature, like read brothers Karamazov, like you can learn fr- from that. Um, or shoot, I think so many times, like you have corporate people feeling like they can get away with, you know, cheating with the, they can get away that the rules don't apply to them. And it's just like, how many people would be more ethical if they read crime and punishment and they knew that they are not, you know, it's like the, the main character in crime and punishment commits murder because he thinks like, I am at the level I'm above everyone. I'm a, I'm at the level of Napoleon and the rules don't apply to Napoleons, but they do. And you know, you hurting your, your fellow men hurts you and tears you apart. So it's like how many in corporate America today, when you're hearing about, you know, cheating, you're hearing about corruption, corruption in government. It's like, would that still be at the same level? If we, if people learn morality through, you know, I mean, through history, we learned it through religion, but now as religion is going away, how do we teach morality to people? Right. And it's like through the best books is an option. And we, we really have to teach at a broader level where people, where, where they're forced to internalize and, and to really think about what things mean. You know, you, when you're talking about crime and punishment, just then when you said crime and punishment, I, I was a little bit surprised. I actually thought you were going to say the Count of Monte Cristo because it's yeah, the same absolutely. lesson. Yeah. You realize that you cannot, you are not providence. You cannot manipulate other people without it coming back on you. And, and both those tie back into the, the New Testament teaching where, where Jesus talks about praying that his people would become one as he and his father are one, that, that as he dwells in his father, they will learn to dwell in him and, and ultimately to dwell in each other. That this idea that you can't hurt other people without hurting yourself, you know, um, I, I, we, we married a son, uh, two days ago, Friday. Um, uh, you know, got back from his mission, whatever, found a girl and boom. And, uh, so we, we're, I've been thinking about that a lot, but w- when Jesus says, you know, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Um, that there's a lesson in that you, you can't, you know, your right hand can't smack your left hand without it hurting you and vice versa. And, and you can't hurt your spouse without hurting yourself. And inversely, oddly enough, you really, you can't even hurt yourself without hurting your spouse. You know, if, if you decide to be lazy at work and, and, you know, watch cartoons all day, and I'm not trying to diss on cartoons because you know how I feel about this gonzo, but like, um, you can't do that without hurting your spouse. And, you know, you, you really are one. And, and that's, that lesson was understood. The reason classics become classics it is because they contain eternal universal truths that, that move through different societies and different customs and, and are, are universal. 
or, or really close to that. And I mean, that's, that's why like, uh, one year I got the hunger games for Christmas. I, I read them all in two days. I couldn't tell you the names of most of the characters three days later. It was like a Twinkie. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to diss on the Hunger Games, but it, it didn't reveal to me any new universal truths in new ways that I hadn't seen them. So it just passed right through me. Yeah. And uh, whereas classic literature, whether it's the New Testament or Dostoevsky or Dumas or whatever, it it conveys universal truths. And sticks with you. For and it the sticks most with you. I mean, yeah. I haven't reread Crime and Punishment in like 15 years, but it's like, I can, I can remember like everything that happens in that book. Yeah. Uh, the, the scene where he, he realizes that, that the prostitute is actually more moral than he is. Yeah. And he actually completely like kneels in obeisance. Like he, um, you, you can't read that without that affecting you unless maybe you're in high school and a teacher's making you read it and you're not really reading it, you know, <laughs> uh, which is how I read it the first time. But, um, if you read that because you're wanting to read that and you're wanting to understand that, that will, that just reading that one scene will change you or when Ivan confronts Alyosha or, you know, whatever, you, yeah. th- th- those things, those scenes will change you. Let's talk no, about something. <laughs> no, I think about that. No, I think about that all the time, and I'm and I'm grateful to you for that. Oh, thank I mean, you. I still think about you know. And we've talked about like I don't know. For example, like me leaving the church, I was like, you know, I've thought in my head, I'm like, I guess I'm more Ivan than Yoshi, you know, just because <laughs> like, <laughs> and in the and in my all my life, I always thought like, and through some of my hardest like thoughts you know you waking you're looking at yourself in the mirror thinking like i would go back to that and say no i'm yoshi and i will look at the stars and choose to believe you know over the years i'm like well i guess i'm ivan you know (laughs) but crisis of faith i've mirrored to ivan and yoshi and their crisis of faith in the brothers karmazov you know so um, as long as you steer clear of Dimitri, I think we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's a murderer of the brothers. <laughs> we, we don't want Anyway, um, you know, and it, it's funny because life definitely can change how we see ourselves. There, I, I, I drive trucks because I own a lawn care company. You, know, you can't do lawn care out of a Tesla right now or a Prius or whatever, so I drive trucks. And but a lot of people drive trucks, even though economically it makes no sense whatsoever. Like it's it's probably the worst vehicle they could pick, and and they don't actually use the truck feature, but maybe once every five years. But they they drive it because it's part of like how they view themselves, and, and how we view ourselves is really important to us. But it's interesting because life events can change that. You talked about how you know you used to like, no, I'm Yoshi, and you're like, wait, maybe I'm Ivan, and then. I, I, you guys both know this, but I went through a divorce four and a half, five years ago. And up until then, like a key part of my identity was like, I'm a good husband. I, you know, I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. I take care of my family. You know, I help with laundry. And, you know, in the winter when I'm not as busy, I cook. And, you know, I'm a good dad and a good husband. And, 
and then you have these big, you know, crises and these shattering events, and you realize that that maybe you weren't doing so great, or that maybe that's not part of your identity, or or wasn't when you really thought it was. Um, yeah, life can life can zap you. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So, Joe, tell us tell us a little bit. I mean, we we're kind of talking about this right now, but what would you say your most important life lessons have been, and how'd you learn them? Something I was thinking of while you guys were talking is, uh, you both alluded to this, and Joe more or less said it, but I think you get a lot more out of these. So I haven't read these books that you guys are talking about, but hearing Gonzo say, like, man, going through grad school, like, I just, I lost this kind of love for reading a little bit. And we have kind of discussed things about this before, like, talking with Bobby, talked about how he lost his love for photography because it was like, now it's my job. This is the thing I do all the time. I talked about, like, not liking praying very much because I had to do it all the time from a mission, whatever. But I feel like when you're forced to do these things, forced in air quotes, right? You, you're not doing it by your own free will. You're not choosing to, but then when you take a step back and you're choosing to read these books, like you're talking about choosing to learn these languages and learning and choosing to go into these, you know, languages and just these different, um, and learning about different societies and different ways of life. I think you're able to really extrapolate a whole lot more out of that. I don't know anything about Ivan or Yoshi, but... Uh, uh, for a while, I would, like, give out Brothers K like it was Book of Mormons, you know? I was, just, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, you, well. you know, talk to my friend and be like, hey, this, this book is going to change your life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's really cool because you, like, working with Joe, and I, I've known this about Joe, like... That's one of my first memories of you is like Joe, one, like loves Iceland because I know you went on a mission there and he loves languages. And you, I, I learned that from a young age, like at 12 and 13 years old, I knew that you loved languages and you loved learning and you talked about books that you were reading. And then I know that you two worked together for years and I know that it was super helpful for you to have someone like Gonzo that would be the most dependable person you could ever think of having like, man, I, I could give this guy a truck and he would go do a route and he would just take care of it. I'd have to think twice about it. I have always valued that. Like your, your love of learning, you made sure we knew that as young 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids. Um, some of us Gonzo listen more than others, but I think it's something that was very obvious to anyone that paid any lick of attention when we were younger. I appreciate that a lot, especially that you gave me time <laughs> to think about. Um, this is something I actually think about sometimes. And, and as they alluded to, I didn't know I was coming on this podcast until a few minutes ago. Um, but when Gonzo actually called and, and my wife's kind of like, now yeah. I'm like, I, I love talking to Stephen Gonzo though. So it should be great. And, and I do, I love they do both men. I love to, to talk to and, and to see them grow. Um, so life lessons. The first big one that I would say I learned was that I could do hard things. I, I, I was a nobody in junior high. I was one of those kids that if you went to the same junior high with me and were in my same grade for three years, there's a really good chance that you did not know my name and you would not have recognized me if I was sitting next to you, you know, at, at a movie theater. Um, at high school, I, 
I came out a little bit and, you know, it's a little more outgoing. I went on some dates and, you know, had some friends and did some fun things, but I just coasted. I just coasted through high school. I think I'm positive. I could count on one hand how many times I did homework in high school. And I, you know, I made it out with a decent grade, you know, B plus average or something and got a good enough score on the uh, ACT to go to BYU. It was a lot easier to get into BYU back then. I'll just throw that out there. And tuition was $700 a semester. Damn. <laughs> yeah, the, the good old days. Anyway. Um, Brigham was the president of the <laughs> university. Yeah. That was, that was right after uh, Carl G. Maser died. And, you know, no. Uh, that would have been in the early 90s. Um, that would have been like uh, 1991. Uh, anyway. But, uh, I, and I cruised through my... My first year at BYU, I took mostly easy classes and, and cruised through that. And then I get called to Iceland and you go to this country where, you know, the language is a big deal and, um, and it's a complex language and, um, and you have to put the work in to learn it and you have to put the work in to go out and to, to track into people and to meet people and to teach people and to help people along and, it was a lot of work and it was hard work and I learned that I could do hard things. And I, I think everyone needs an experience like that, whether it's a mission or joining the military or whatever it is where you learn that you can do hard things. Second thing that I've learned would be that, and, and, you know, gospel according to Joe here, uh, we're here to grow and we're here to learn. Everyone does that in a different way. And at a different speed and give people, you know, I, I think the best definition of charity is just letting people uh, go at their own pace and be themselves and, and grow in their own ways and love them while they do that. And that's actually been a very hard uh, thing for me to learn because I, I tend to be like, no, you know, you follow the, uh, agricultural science is very specific, very scheduled, very, you know, you, you do this at this time of year, you do this at this time of year. And, and, and life isn't like that. People grow in different ways. Um, but they do grow. And, you know, the, I think probably the saddest thing I could think of was someone who's born onto this earth and lived here a long time and, and left the same way he came, you know, or the same way he was when he was 25. I have learned a lot about marriage primarily through by going through a divorce. And, and if I, if I, I guarantee you, if you guys have more than five listeners uh, to this program, that at least one of them will be in, in marital distress and be contemplating a divorce. One of the things that happens when you get divorced, just so you know, people come out of the woodwork and they message you on Facebook or they send you a text. Hey, could we do lunch sometime? There's something I want to talk to you about. After the third or fourth one of those, you know that they want to talk to you about your divorce because they are contemplating a divorce. And, and that will just happen to you a whole bunch when you get divorced. Um, and your heart just sinks every time that happens because the, the best way I could describe divorce is, um, is losing a limb. Like that's the best analogy I could give for you. I was married for 20, just over 23 years when I got divorced and it was, it was my wife that filed for divorce. Um, 
And um, it was really hard because you, when you're married to someone that long, you, when you're married to someone, if you're doing it right, I think, or trying to do it right, you, they dwell in you. They're always in the back of your head. You see something cool on the way to work and your first thought is, oh, I got to tell them about this. You know, you, know, you see some weird yeah. wreck or, you know, you see, I remember I saw the Oscar Meyer Wiener mobile <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I've got to. I gotta call April. <laughs> and like, that does not go away when you divorce. It doesn't go away. Or, or even, you know, you'll have this sudden panic of like, oh my gosh, they, you know, they, they're at work tonight. It, you know, it's snowing. They're going to drive home in this, you know, uh, are they going to be okay or whatever? That, that does not go away just because a judge signs a paper and, and you're divorced. It sticks with you, uh, for months. And, um, and it, you know, it reminds me of these people who, you know, tragically lose a, a limb, a leg to a landmine or something. And it still itches. They it's still a phantom, have, yeah. phantom yeah. pain. Yeah. Yeah. Phantom wife. Yeah. Phantom wife, phantom wife. It, it doesn't go away. So I, uh, things I've learned about marriage, um, give your spouse permission to, to have falls and to struggle and just try and love them through it. And, uh, and you know, if, if there's any way you can, uh, work on and, and repair your marriage, I, I am remarried. I'm very happy. I love my wife to death. I've been blessed more than I could describe, but it was not a painless road to get there. It was, it was quite horrible to get there, but I'm in a really good spot now. Um, and, and it, it requires lots of work. You know, there, there's still nights you come home and you just want to go to bed, but your spouse is struggling. You, so you hash it out until 2 a.m., even though that's the last thing you want to do ever. <laughs> like, um, especially, right. I think if you're the guy, you'd never want to do that. <laughs> but yeah, but you do it because it's worth it. It's worth the cost. Like tonight, when you get home, like, why did you leave <laughs> so late at night? <laughs> Out of the blue. <laughs> but for probably something like, no, she knew exactly what yeah. was going on. And anyway, we were actually, we were laying in bed talking and... Talking about podcasts. Really. Podcasts, yeah. What's your favorite ones to listen to? <laughs> I really like the Jordan High 2004 podcast. I really enjoy that. Um, Can't um, wait for the Hawks to start one. <laughs> thought of it but i don't know i'm not as cool as you guys like if i one of the things that makes that podcast great is you guys have so many memories with so many of the guests and share and you know i i did okay in high school but i i was one of those kids like i didn't do any real extracurriculars or anything like i i i left school and i went to work you know and from work i went home like i don't know and I think too we have pretty good memories because some of the people are like we're like whoa you remember that I, don't, I think both Steve and I have like a pretty good memory about just the story might not be accurate but we remember stuff <laughs> 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 and it's been far enough removed that people just have to take our word for it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah you know <laughs> there's no fact checking yeah. no but I mean thank you for sharing those I think about. I think about that all the time. I think about marriage um, in particular. And I think also about growth. I feel at times 
I don't know what to attest it to, if it's cultural or if it's just inbred in us, um, just how we grew up. But I think about everyone has this pressure to also grow. You know, we, we have either within inside or outside pressure to grow. And I think within a marriage, you, because you and your wife are also one, you have pressure for your spouse to grow. And that can be both ways. Like you um, want your spouse to grow and your spouse wants you to grow as well. And just like you were saying that, I think the key is, yes, we are to grow, but your lesson was like everyone has their own rate or their own speed and you shouldn't push people to grow at a certain, at a certain rate. It's like allowing them that space for them to grow because if it's like it's just like we talked about the love of learning you know if it becomes homework then it's something you start hating and uh, or resenting so i think about that all the time how just to also give yourself space give yourself space give your spouse space and that's also something through like couples counseling that i've that i've learned too that it's like you know you you cut yourself some slack because you're learning you're you're giving your you're say you have these bad habits and when it comes to an argument you either shut down or maybe you have a short fuse and you blow up Mm -hmm. um you'll have these patterns that are stuck in you or you were either uh bred with or you saw like your how your parents handled uh or relationships that you were around and just because that you're going to do that again. You're going to make those, keep making those mistakes, but you know, it's like forgive yourself, give yourself a chance, you know, notice when you are doing better, when you are making those efforts and, and improving, but you know, also cut yourself some slack, cut your partner some slack and just notice when they are making efforts when, and notice when you're making efforts. Yeah. So I think, I think that's super important. So my, and, and this probably just this will tie in with, with Oliver later. I mean, he gets a little older, but my, my wife, she teaches special education. Yeah. And, you know, she, she, she used to work at the Utah Autism Academy. Now she, she works at a, a, a school, a normal, you know, like a charter school, but, um, she, right now her caseload, I think is 58 students and every one of them has, you know, some form of autism or ADD or downs or, you know, they, they all have some special ability and, and she still manages to get so excited when they grow and when they improve. And, um, and it's interesting because a lot of them had, have been written off by, by different, you know, by some, in some cases, their parents or, you know, different teachers or whatever. But, um, but when she's able to find tools and give them tools, like, she has past students who have become valedictorians in their high schools, you know, because they, they are smart and they are thing are things they can do, but they have to do them in a different way. Yeah. The, the, the system isn't going to work for them. So they have to find a system that does work for them. And, and then, you know, they can flourish and, and I try to apply that to other people, but I'm, I'm very new at it, you know, only been married a couple of years now uh, to my current wife. And, and so sometimes it's, it's hard for me. Sometimes I'm still, you know, I can still be judgmental or 
dismissive of people and, um, you know, just like, oh, that's crazy. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm old enough that, you know, that's kind of my generation. You know, most of us were, you know, oh, that's crazy. And you just kind of dismiss it. And um, so it's, it's, it's hard for me not to do that. But I'm definitely learning. You think your ex-wife's going to listen to this podcast? She might. I don't know. I doubt it. But <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll be super real. So You're super real. No, I, so I worked... I worked for Joe for a long time. I would go to his house in the mornings and we'd drop off stuff at night. Sometimes I'd, I'd go home and be like, <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like super happy marriage there. Take, making, making mental notes of things I don't want to <laughs> happen in my marriage. <laughs> it's just like, they don't treat each other super nice. <laughs> like, check mark. <laughs> uh, you know, so. That's, that's something I had noticed years ago. That, that's fair. And, you know, I look back and yeah, you're, you're right. It, it wasn't perfect. And I mean, I, for years, I, I slept mostly on the couch because that's how our marriage was. And, um, I'm not suggesting that as <laughs> any kind of, you know, good way to deal with marriage or anything. It was, but that's how it was. And I think so that, 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 the big kind of end thing, well, the thing um, on the divorce petition um, that, that my ex-wife gave me, she cited irreconcilable differences on the topic of religion, and, and she had left the church, and I had decided to stay, and that, that was definitely a big friction point. If the rest of the marriage had been really solid, I think it could have survived that. I think it could have been okay, and I think I could have uh, just given her the freedom to, you know, to uh, explore that different lifestyle. And she could have given me the freedom to, to keep on the, that, well, in the church, what we call the covenant path or, you know, the, the path. And, um, but I think that because we didn't have that good foundation, that, that just wasn't there. And, and I think, I think there were times where she thought about, coming back to the church and, and candidly, there were times I thought, I thought about leaving it to try and save my marriage. But I think I can't speak for her and, and her reasons for not coming back, but I, I know why I didn't choose to leave. And, and I, I regret the divorce. I, I regret the damage that it did uh, specifically to, to the, our kids. We had three kids and and I definitely regret that, uh, but I I don't regret my choice to stay. And, and ultimately, I think we both found happier lives. She definitely found something more what she was looking for, and I definitely found something that I candidly didn't really realize I was missing, that I, I didn't realize I didn't have. As Gonzo could attest, like, yeah, it, it wasn't a great marriage. I didn't really have a great uh, marriage to it, it was I, I would have thought it was fine uh, my, my parents were separated when my mom died you know and that's just how marriage was they didn't live in the same house they you know lived a mile from each other and and so I, I guess I hadn't um, I had maybe a lower expectation of marriage and I don't have that anymore I have a much higher one I wanted to say I have 
what you just barely said, like expectation of marriage and something that I have repeated countless times to friends, to anyone that, I mean, even at the dentist, like they're laying there, so they just have to listen to me. Mm -hmm. Can't go anywhere. You guys won't You can't talk back either. <laughs> I know. I know, Stephen. Sometimes you want to so bad. I'll be in the chair. He's got that wedge thing, and he's like, so how you doing, Joe? <laughs> and, it's perfect. <laughs> I feel like dentists ask questions on yeah, purpose. Exactly. <laughs> it's just not, we don't want the answer. Right. So while you have a captive audience, so, you tell them. <laughs> I tell them, you know, so I feel like my parents, they fought physically and verbally my whole life that I could remember until the point that they got divorced. And I've talked about how I, th I feel like my dad was a good dad for little kids. Um, he was always at all of our things. He was even the coach of like basketball teams and stuff, but he, he had a very hard time cause he couldn't hear. And so always there would be like another like assistant coach or things actually mm -hmm. someone else would actually take over cause he couldn't, he couldn't fully engage the kids. Um, but I have repeated for years that my dad moved to Washington when I was 12 or 13. And so I'm very grateful that I learned how to be a husband and a father from people like my scout leader. So people like you, like Brian Pryor, Paul Nyber, my two grandparents live close by friends, parents, you know, being able to spend a lot of time over at Gonzo's house at Gus's house at Sven's house. And I felt like, you know, people don't, tend to show all their bad side when there's some 13 year old kid visiting. And so I was able to see a lot of really good qualities and see how, man, these guys, like, they're not fighting. Like, Hey, those parents, they're not like punching each other and wrestling, but instead they're being pleasant with each other. And so I was able to, I mean, I, I, from 12 to 18 years old, I had these leaders that I was able to see examples of like, that's what I would want. Kind of like what Gons was like on the opposite side. He's like, mental note, don't do that or look for this. But mm -hmm. on my end, it was, that's something I would want to be like. I had these scout leaders that as I've gotten older now, it's like, oh, I have to take time off from work. We, we went on a camp like once a month mm -hmm. from 12 to 18 years old. Like, I think about that all the time. Like, yeah. Actually, like, people are taking time off and not doing work to just take these kids out. And we used to, it's funny, we all ended up in Saratoga Springs. Like, this is where we used to come when there was nothing out here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took you guys shooting just south of where I live now. <laughs> we, we couldn't do that now. <laughs> no. And, uh, but I'm just really grateful that even though there's a lot of messy stuff, and I think there's one thing, if there's one thing Gonzo and I have learned is that behind the smiles, everybody has a story. Everybody has stuff going on. Yeah. And... I was just some dumb little kid, so I didn't see any of the stuff, but I was able to get really good examples of, I want to be like that when I get older. I want to treat my wife like that. I want to be that kind of dad when I am a dad. And so I'm, I'm grateful that even though you, you know, we're going through a lot of this stuff and things were hard, like you said, you can do hard things. You also ended up in a place where you found happiness in a way that you didn't know you would find it. And I'm grateful for the examples that I've gained and I have a lot to learn. I, we get to go to therapy and I get to learn all kinds of great stuff about myself. And, um, I'm trying to change like for the better for myself and try to find happiness within myself instead of finding it through other people. But I, I thank you for like, you were one of those guys, like you were one of the leaders when I first came, like, okay. Cause I grew up not only with deaf parents, but I grew up going to like a deaf ward. So in my mind it was like all these, like the deaf culture is very different 
than a hearing culture. And um, I just had a lot of great examples. So thanks for going through all those struggles, but still being a good example to me. Believe it or not, I had fun doing it. You know, you mentioned that we went camping every month. When my own experience in scouting was absolutely atrocious. I think I told you guys about this. I never went to a scout camp where I wasn't exposed to pornography, alcohol, tobacco. I mean, you name it. Like the, the kids in the troop I grew up in, like, I think I'm positive. Actually, more of them went to prison than went on missions. They were just kind of a bad group of kids and uh, well-intentioned leaders, but didn't necessarily always know what was going on. And, and I had sworn I would never have anything to do with scouting. And then, you know, I get married and my first big calling, they call me as the assistant scoutmaster. And six months later, they call me as the scoutmaster. And I'm like 23 or whatever. I'm like, what? And um, so I asked the boys, and these would have been older than you. There's been like hands and, you know. Boys Brian. Like, yeah. 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 Brian uh, Leatherwood. And, you know, like, what do you guys really want to do? Like, we like camping. Like, okay. Well, how about if we said go, go camping every month? And they're like, yeah. And. That's what we did. And that's something I could do with the boys. And I, I had fun. And, you know, we'd work on merit badges sometimes during the week or, you know, at, at the week-long scout camps. But, um, and I learned it didn't really matter what the camp was as long as, you know, we all got to go somewhere and sit around a fire and, and do something, whether it was lighting off rockets or shooting or, you know, it didn't hitting golf balls into Utah Lake. And um, I think it would be funny when they're, you know, they're talking about doing these different dredging Utah lanes. Yeah, whatever. They're, they're going to go clear down to that weird south side, middle of nowhere, they'll find just thousands of golf balls. And like, what on, like, this is so far from Talon's Cove. How did this happen? And I'll know. Yeah, someone's got a really bad swing. Yeah. We are like 12 miles from Talon's Cove. Why are so there funny. thousands of golf balls off this point? And, and I'll know why, you know, because that, that was an annual camp. We would go do that. And, and I actually had fun. I had, I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, well, I'll say our troop wasn't part of that big old settlement. That <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, the one yeah. you grew up in was. <laughs> I never got tested by anybody. Had <laughs> <laughs> a great troop. Okay. I'll tell you that was the scariest thing about being a scoutmaster. I be- I believe it. Well, because I was even thinking, you know, with that stuff that's scouting that was coming out. I was thinking, like, how many times was, like, Chad trying to get into Joe's tent? Just, like, he's one, he's, like, one word away from, like, getting sued or whatever. Getting Go to taken jail. To jail. Yeah. yeah. Like, yep. Listen, as a predator, like. <laughs> uh, well, you, you guys named him. There was, that one, <laughs> there, there was one other. Uh, two, two boys, while I was a scout leader in that, that ward that made accusations, not against leaders, but against other boys that turned out to be false and, you know, things that they were doing to try and get revenge and try and, and, and I just remember thinking if one of these hits me, you know, you, you can be completely innocent you can never be convicted and it can still crash. You well, know, you show up on the news. Imagine that in the yeah. early 2000s. Imagine that today with social media. Oh yeah. It's like you're one post away from like, oh yeah. Know, being, being a pariah essentially yep. yeah yep. it's like because i was in the young men's for five years in my last neighborhood but i i never went camping with them <laughs> just like nah, i 
it's like I'll, I'm going to the activities when I can because I was in grad school at the time. So it's like I had limited time. So I was there on Sunday and any Wednesday I could get away. But it's just like, ah, sorry. I just like, I'm really scared to like. <laughs> True deep leadership. I mean, I, I know we're not part of scouting, but there's still going to be. And if you guys end up doing that stuff. I can't say enough about too deep leadership. And when, when I moved to Saratoga, I, I, I worked in scout so long in Sandy, finally got out of it, got a calling. I really liked I was teaching Sunday school. I'm like, yeah, this is great calling. Super easy. And whatever <laughs> moved to Saratoga Springs. They, oh, man, he's self-employed and owns a truck. Boom. Scout master. And, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, too deep leadership. Yeah. Like I, I remember one time I had a camp and we're, supposed to leave at a certain time and, and the other guy's not there. He's like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. Why don't you just leave him? I'll meet you there. No, nope. we'll wait right here with the parents. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, nope. Yeah. <laughs> wait, when you're here, we'll leave. And, and you know, we ended up canceling it because you can show up. But, like, you've yeah, you got to protect yourself. If, if you're listening and you get called and work with youth, always have another adult with you. Always. Good. Is there, Joe, is there anything you want to promote or any last thing you want to talk about before we... Sign off. Promote. What's the name of your lawn care business? I own Evergreen of Utah. And if you need someone to fertilize the spring your lawn, give me a call. I, I do that. I like doing that. I actually do lawns for a couple of people who've been on your show and stuff. That's kind of fun. I didn't know they went to Jordan with you guys. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. Wow. That's, that's, so it's kind of fun. The, the other thing I would promote, and you guys talk about a lot, is mental health. I, I think, unfortunately, there's still like a stigma about mental health that it shouldn't be there but you know p- people get hurt and when you get hurt you need help and and i i've seen its effect in the lives of like my kids and and the the power that that can have yeah, yeah. and it's i mean shoot my dad's generation is like doesn't believe mental health is you know it doesn't you can shake off anything you know type thing but so I'm super proponent of it too. I'm like, let's get healthy in our mind. <laughs> this is funny because when Gonzo worked for me, he was, you know, immigrant from Uruguay, whatever. And you're like, depression. He's like, that's just a made up American. In Uruguay, nobody has depression. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, well, why is that? They don't have time for that crap. <laughs> Everyone in Uruguay works three jobs. No one has time to be depressed. Like, you know, work, whatever. Uh, it's one of those things that, like, he firmly believed that I don't think Well, you know what? Anymore. It's one of those things, like, what is the hierarchy, oh, hierarchy of hierarchy needs? Hierarchy of needs, yeah. So it's just like, Maslow. these people are at level one just trying to, like, survive or whatever. They don't have time to be at, like... Uh, whatever top top of the pyramid but yeah no i honestly yeah that, it's not true sometimes even if you're working really hard you can still feel sad <laughs> there's one other really funny thing that you told me i just gotta share this this is funny we will end the show on the light now i remember for years you were like insistent that latinos didn't do the gay thing and <laughs> And I'm like, Gonzo, there are gay people in every culture. Like, no, we don't do that. Like, Latino, like, we only like the ladies. I'm like, well, I know you do, but like, I'm sure there are gay Latinos. No, like, I mean, maybe in movies and stuff, but in real life, we don't do that. (laughs) So Uh, insistent that that wasn't a thing. (laughs) If you ask my dad today, he would tell you that he will will affirm that that's the truth. (laughs) There's no such thing. He's just like, 
I know because at Thanksgiving we were talking about this, and he's just like, nope. In Uruguay, in the in the seventies, there were no gays. <laughs> <laughs> they came in after I left. <laughs> That was the last line of defense. I've never been to your way. He could be right. I don't know. That's funny. So a lot of those misconceptions I may have gotten from uh, from, from my dad. <laughs> that could be. That could Bo- be. Both those early thoughts on depression and, and homosexuality. <laughs> Probably that. Uh, <laughs> What's the, the, the old saying? Whether you believe, like... So, like in psychology, there's two schools of thought. One is the, like it's our environment, and the other one is the, like nurture, gen- nurture versus nature. Yeah, our genetics. Like either way, it's your parents' fault. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they're the nurture and the nature. Yeah, yeah. Funny. my mom did it. <laughs> yeah. Joe, thank you so much for coming over and and uh, digging deep with us for a little bit. No problem. Gonzo, we just finished talking to Joe. What are your thoughts? It was great. I mean, and you know, like Joe, I think you were probably closer to Brian Pryor and I was closer to Joe Staker. Cause I, and I'm close with Brian too. I, I worked for him as well for maybe like a year and a half or so. But with Joe, we not only worked together, we spent so much time together because we were riding in the truck together a lot and we've talked about everything. I've I've talked about everything with him. So, and he has been one of the people that have been very influential in my, in my life. I feel like he is one of those persons that one of the people that has shaped me as an adult as well. Yeah. Like a, a second father. So I really love and appreciate Joe. I could have talked to him forever because we can go off about, you know, books, cartoons, politics, history. We've like talked about everything. It was great to see him. It's great to see him happier in a healthy relationship. That was a big thing growing up. I would, I would. And just like I mentioned, I would see things of how, and I'm not saying they didn't have like a, something visually horrible, but there were little things that I could see how they would treat each other or you know, things that they were, how they were talking to each other. And I make it a note to myself, like, oh, I, I don't really like that. I'm going to, like, try to be different in my marriage. So the little things like that. I think it's that it was awesome. I think it's interesting you bring that up because something I've always said as I'm growing up is that I'm glad my, uh, I'm, I'm glad my dad, maybe, I don't know the best way to say this. I'm kind of glad my dad left when he did. He left, like, he was gone when I was 12. And so I think he was a good dad for kids, but I learned to be a husband and a father from like my young men's leaders, from my grandparents. Like it wasn't from my dad and I love my dad. Um, but the things that I saw growing up, I, like you said, mental note, like I will never treat my wife the way I saw my dad treat my mom. And, you know, I wasn't as close with Joe in that way. Like I didn't see any of those things. And usually you just see people like, Oh, these neighborhood kids are over. So I'm going to not be mean to my wife or whatever. Right, right, right. So I saw these good examples and I've said that for years. Like I'm really glad that I learned from their example because my example growing up was really bad. And uh, I think that saved me. Like you and I joke about being 
great husbands and great dads. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in my experience, I had really good examples compared to what I kind of grew up with. Yeah. No, it was good. I'm, I was really happy we got to see him. And it was like really short notice. And that's also one of the, that's the kind of person he is. He is like, you know, willing to, to do anything, you know, for us. And he's been a, a great help. Someone that also an example of me working hard, of integrity, of reaching out, reaching out. And like one of the things that he, I think he told me, and he, I think he was talking about you. And he said that if an eagle, it's like if an eagle is raised with chickens, it'll never like learn to fly. And I remember thinking about that, like just thinking about your own potential and how he said that he learned that he can do things, hard things. I, I think he taught me that too, that you can, that you have the potential to, to do anything that you set your mind to. So I'm really grateful. I appreciate him quite a bit. And it was great talking to him. It may have been about me because uh, just last summer I was talking to him and he, he shared with me that, Hey, when you moved into our neighborhood, you were a punk kid. And he kind of talked a little bit about it. Like I would say these inappropriate yeah. things, but he could tell that like I needed good friends. And immediately when I moved into our neighborhood, I picked like the worst boys to hang out with. <laughs> and, uh, and he, he told me like, I, I didn't, I would, I never plan on telling you this, but I told like, Hey, Gus, Gonzo, Sven, like, I, I want you guys, like, I'll take you guys shooting, but if you become friends with that kid and like tried to, in his way, in his, you know, position that he was in to help you guys become the, you know, helping me to stop surround myself with chickens, <laughs> uh, I guess. But, uh, but I, I'm grateful I'm grateful for him for doing something like that because it's just interesting because we've been such good friends forever. But like when I first moved into that ward, Gus wasn't like immediately my best friend. And it's just really interesting to see how life would have turned out if I didn't have people like Joe going out of his way saying like, Hey, like help him out. You want another, you want another uh, compliment that Joe told me in confidence? Yeah. I'm just going to drop all his beans, um, spill all the tea. So he said one other thing about you that was like, oh, that's a really big compliment. He said, there are a few, a few boys that if I saw them like on the news, not as in like, hey, this guy's going to jail, but it's like, hey, check out this great thing this guy did. You know, as a, if I saw him on the newspaper or on the news, like in the future, it's like, I would never be surprised to see Steve on the news. Like, hey, this guy discovered this cure for cancer or something. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm I, sure he thought highly of you. And I, I, I love it. I love that he came on and I think that he, uh, hopefully we had a good effect on him as these punk kids that as we've gotten older, you said he's kind of like a second father, but the cool thing is I feel like we've transitioned into friends. Right. Like, right. The, we have these other leaders that we want to talk to, but it's like, we can talk about real life, real hard things. We can talk about marriage and kids and addictions and like, we're not just little kids anymore. And so we've evolved this relationship and I just love that he was willing to drop everything and come over and, and have that conversation with us just like that. 
Yeah, and it makes me want to do... Obviously, I want to do more of these. You know, want to... We've talked about getting Patty Stedman on. And um, maybe it's like people from the old war getting Susie Pierce in. Uh, I, yeah. Salisbury now. Yeah, Susie on there. We can get Kyler, Sven. Yeah. You know, a whole bunch of them. So it was great, and I want to keep doing it. Yeah, me too. All right. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. All right. All right. If you'd like to be on the podcast, send me a text because we don't have an email or anything. And we can dig deep on a topic. We didn't get into politics um, today, but that's uh, that's something that I'd love to dig deep with someone. I, I remember riding on the riding in the truck with Joe. We would uh, have very long conversations about politics, and uh, that if you want to dig deep about politics, come give us shoot us a text. We'll put you on a schedule. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.